What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode 46, Stick to Hockey Live. Jason Martinez, Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period, thefourthperiod.com. Going to join us in just a moment as my phone vibrates. Um, and uh, tons to get to on this episode, kind of during the, I guess we'll call it the pseudo bye week slash all-star break for the Flyers. They got the first half leading into the all-star break with their days off and half the league's got that. The other half's got it on the backside um, and Flyers on the front side. Um, we're finally back uh, recovering from... COVID hell. Uh, so didn't do any episodes last week, but we'll get back to some this week for sure. Um, let me tell you about Conquerville Subaru because it is a fantastic dealership. Conquerville cares. It is not just some saying, it's a fact. And, you know, the fact that they've done so much great work in the community is it's unparalleled. They were the first Subaru Nation Love Promise dealer of the award winner uh, back in 2015, the inaugural. Also, the eight years supporting Namor's Children's Hospital of Delaware. The 15 classrooms they adopt every year at Marcus Hook Elementary School, donating classroom supplies, $500 each. Uh, plus, they continue the donation of thousands of coats to La Humanidad Hispania in Kennett Square. They do that to this day. It's been going on for a decade. Uh, New Year, great time to get down to Conquerville Subaru, the beautiful dealership on Route 202 in Glen Mills. You can check out the certified pre-owned inventory and all the new Subaru vehicles on the lot. Take one for a test drive. You're going you're gonna to love the dealership, the vehicles, the people, everything. And not only that, but also the service department where you get a free car wash with every visit. So visit Conquerville Subaru online at ConquervilleSubaru.com. Check them out at Route 202 in Glen Mills at the beautiful showroom. And remember that Conquerville cares. All right, let's get to them right now from the fourth period.com. It is Anthony DeMarco. What's going on, Ant? Not too much, buddy. How's it going? It's going. We're we're vertical again, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Uh, uh, you've had a rough go as of late eh? in the last few months Ooh, man it's just those couple of weeks were were pretty hellish it was the COVID came and then kind of disappeared for a little bit it was I was on the mend and then let's go over another couple rounds it said a couple late rounds here and uh still not a hundred percent but I'm getting better it was my first run with confirmed COVID so yeah, I got it uh, last March, I want to say, and like I didn't get it as long as you, but I had it for about two, three days, and it was a rough two, three days, but I came out of it pretty, pretty fast, so you were dealing with that for over a week, just yeah. about, so you got I the can, shitty end of it. <laughs> I can actually taste and smell again, which is cool, <laughs> so. Well, at least you don't have that long COVID that you hear a lot of people getting, so at yeah. least that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, <laughs> let, let's start real quick with um, the game in Winnipeg, you know. I was talking to Bill Meltzer for Flyers Daily for today, Mondays with Meltzer. And I said to Bill, I, I thought that that game, I don't think Winnipeg played great. I didn't think they played incredibly poorly either. I just think the Flyers never let them up off for air at any point, never gave them anything. They got nothing. And when there was opportunities in the game for Winnipeg to re-grab momentum, the Flyers found momentum either you know a good kill or scoring a goal. And then in the third period, three minutes in, you get a goal when you know that they're going to push. I thought it was the best overall performance of the entire year. And Kevin Hayes and Travis Konechny were on the score sheet. I think that's a great sign. Yeah, that was uh, a big telling sign. I didn't watch that game live. I just watched the highlights afterwards. But I felt that, you know, in the second period, from what I saw again on the highlights, you know, Winnipeg came back, started kind of pushing a bit. And uh, or sorry, that was uh, when the Flyers came back and started pushing a bit. But for a lot of that, to your point, Winnipeg was, you know, trying to push the envelope. And like you said, you get some depth scoring there. Kiefer Bellows with his first as a flyer. You get Noah Cates for his second goal in as many games. 
Another great setup by Ristolainen on that Bellows goal. Owen Tippett got another one. He's on pace for a 24-25 goal season. And like you said, it's nice to see that guys like Konechny and Hayes don't have to always carry the load. And, you know, Hayes, I, I've been tweeted out, I think going back to the beginning of last season, he has like 75 points in 97 games, something like that. Obviously, we know what Konechny has done this season, although he has slowed down recently, but that's to be expected. You can't score that kind of pace all through the season unless you're like elite of the elite. But I think that's kind of becoming the identity of this team for the Flyers, that aside from like those bottom three forwards with McEwen or Delorier or Brown and McEwen didn't even play last game, I think that you kind of have to consider all three lines equally in a lot of ways. Like I know you're probably considering that Farabee, Cates and Konechny line as the, you know, first line in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. what's really the difference from that line and the Morgan Frost line? or the Scott Lawton, Kevin Hayes, and Wade Allison line. So all th- all of those lines are kind of like in more or less the same tier, if you ask me. Yeah, it you know, when you look back at Vegas when in their their first year in the league and they go all the way to the cup final, I thought that they were a team that didn't really have a top line, but they had three number two lines <laughs> yeah. and then a fourth line. You know what I mean? And because they didn't have, obviously, the high-end pieces, although like William Carlson – was just an unbelievable that year and, and some players, some really good players, but um, you know, that balance of being able to throw three lines out that can score. So you don't need Konechny or Hayes to always carry all of it. I mean, they score four goals in that game too. They chase Hellebuck, who is one of the elite goaltenders in the league, um, but they got elite goaltending at the other end. And, and I talk about this quite a bit. Goalies have to find different ways to be dominant in games. Some nights it's, you got to be flying all over the place because it's just one, that's what the game dictates, right? High flying, up and back action, you know, odd man rushes each way, real loose hockey. Other times it's got to be really structured hockey. And that game against Winnipeg was really structured. And, you know, I thought his environment and predictability of environment for Hart was great. To me, it looked like he was waiting on pucks all night because it was a play reading and efficiency and movement type night for him. And he just looked so solid the entire game. I mean, they hit a post, but other than that, I mean, he seemed like to me like he was just waiting on pots and it's showing the versatility of the different ways that Hart can dominate a game. And I think he kind of needed that, right? Like that yeah. was his first shutout of the season. And it's not to say that he's been bad, you know, in a lot, you could consider him their MVP this season, especially the first month, month and a half. Uh, when they got up to that good start, but their process was really not that great. But, you know, it's no secret that recently, I guess he hit a bit of a lull by his standards. Still good, but then you see what Samuel Urson does when he comes up. He pitches the shutout. He has, like, amazing stats and amazing showing. And then you get a lot of the Hyper Bowl fans that start saying, oh, you know, the better goalies in Lehigh right now, blah, blah, yeah. blah, after, like, a five-game sample size. But I think it was good for Hart to put on that showing, pitch a shutout against one of the better teams in the Western Conference this year. And I just think that all in all, you know, before we started recording here, we were talking about that the last 16 games since they came back from the Christmas break, they've gone 10, what did we say, 10-4-2, I believe? 10-4-2, and yeah. And you, you know, you look at a lot of their underlying numbers, and aside from that fourth line of McEwen, DeLorean, and Brown, and I think Brown in particular has struggled a lot, This is a team that up front, a lot of the lines have been pulling their weight and especially Kevin Hayes, like, like Kevin Hayes, obviously didn't get a point last night, but you know, he has the highest expected goals for percentage, 
across the board, really contributing well to this team, especially offensively. He's generating the most shots for per 60 minutes of any Flyers forward over that stretch. And that line in general, the Lawton, Allison, Hayes line has been in very much doing their part as like, in my mind, that's a third line that could probably play on a Stanley Cup contender in a lot of ways. And that goes back to the point that we just talked about of how, what is the main difference between all these top lines? And, you know, you look at Konechny, who points-wise is generating the most by a wide margin, but then over the 16-game stretch, he's probably, aside from the fourth-line players, had, like, the worst process because we know that he has his gaffes defensively, but you can live with those things because of the point totals he puts up. And I think that all in all, up front, you've seen a lot of the guys buy in a lot, and those top nine forwards have just been all doing their part. Uh, you, You want some more. From a certain guys, I think obviously Morgan Frost has had an amazing run, but you want to see more consistency out of him. Joel Farabee, I think, has been probably the most disappointing forward to this point. But for the most part, it's been nice that a lot of these forwards, and then we can get the defense after, have been able to help Hart on the back end as well. Because Hart early on was doing it all himself, and now it's kind of a more do-it-by-committee, and they're not completely leaving him out to dry. Yeah, I mean, Konechny leads the team in points. He's played 45 games. He's got 49 points, 24 goals, 25 assists, over 20 minutes of ice time on the season. Power play goals, he's got five. He's got eight power play assists. He's got three shorties. I mean, he's doing it all, three shorthanded assists, six points shorthanded. That's even hard to believe. And then you look at uh, Hayes is second in scoring. And then Tony D'Angelo has played 46 games, 30 points. Now, we know about, He's a minus 16. Um, we know about his liabilities defensively, and I don't like him with Travis Sanheim. I just don't like the pair because yeah. I think it's neutered Sanheim a bit and his ability to get up the ice or willingness to get up the ice and contribute offensively, trying to be more of a defensive stalwart. Um, but is Tony D'Angelo a guy that could be moved at the deadline? You know, a lot of people kind of scoff at that when I suggest it. And He's like you just said, he still has 30 points on the year. That's the thing. And Tony D'Angelo is a guy that in the right situation, as we saw last year with the Carolina Hurricanes, I think think can really excel. And look, the the offense is still there. Like that shot he scores to tie the game against Minnesota on Thursday. That that's a goal scorer's goal. And that that entire sequence, like the the po- the the poise of Provorov to wait for Hayes to get on the ice, the no look tape to tape feed by Hayes, like just an amazing setup, and then hey, D'Angelo scores that goal. But then again, in overtime, what do you see? He gets caught behind the net. Yes, he is hauled down, but why is he there in the first place? And you know, I I think D'Angelo is a guy that you really have to play him what with the right partner. And obviously, Kevin, uh, I mean J- Jacob Slavin is probably the right partner for everyone. I could probably be a passable defenseman if I was playing with Jacob Slavin. But I do think there's a market for him because his contract isn't egregious. You know, five million dollars now is essentially the going rate for like a, a, a decent second pair defenseman. That's basically what it is now. He's only signed for one more year. He's still putting up points. He's on pace for, what, 45 to 50 points this season. And, yes, his defensive play has been uh, has left a lot to be desired. I think, like, the numbers would suggest that Sanheim has been really bad. But I think if you watch it, you see that he's been hung out to dry a lot by Tony D'Angelo. And I think that there are a lot of teams that would take a flyer on him again. And I know everyone kind of who's this in a lot of way or discounts this, but right shot defensemen are coveted. 
especially right shot defenseman with a pedigree, which Tony D'Angelo has because of his play in Carolina or because of his play early on in New York. So I think because of all that, there would be a market, but then what are you going to get for? Like, I haven't heard this, but I think a lot about what's going on in Minnesota with Matthew Dumba and how Bill Guerin, if he is going to trade him, probably will trade him, is going to look for like kind of a, um, what do you say, a lateral move to stay competitive. He's not going to trade him Mm. for future assets. And I'm wondering, because of the cost certainty with Tony D'Angelo moving into next season, could the Minnesota Wild swap Dumba, who's on an expiring deal, for Tony D'Angelo? So I wonder if something like that could maybe be in the works. Again, I haven't heard that specifically, but that's maybe a deal that I could see the Flyers be coming into if they really want to move D'Angelo. And Dumba was a guy that was healthy scratch last week. So. Yeah. You know, obviously, it looks like, you know, he needs a change of scenery and look, the contract's going to expire. There's familiarity there with Chuck Fletcher, obviously, as well with Dumba. Um, You know, the interesting thing is, you know, we get those comparisons of D'Angelo and Ghost. And D'Angelo in 46 games, like I said, has nine goals, 21 assists, 30 points. Bastis Bear with um Arizona in 48 games so he's played two more games has nine goals 20 assists 29 points so the comparison is pretty valid at this point you know you saw those tweets earlier in the season oh look at all the points Ghost is putting up well D'Angelo's put up more and less games at this point even though both are a bit of a gong show defensively yeah, and and I do think, and I know it's tough to kind of relay this because a lot of people aren't privy to what goes on behind the scenes, but Ghost had wanted out for a long time. I don't think he was happy, and you obviously knew him in a lot more personal way than I did, but I'm sure you heard the same things. He, yeah. he butted heads with every coach, every defensive coach. He had wanted out in the 2019-20 season, which was the Flyers' best season going back, what, eight, seven, eight nine years and I think that in a lot of ways, Goss' spear just didn't fit. And especially in 1920, when the Flyers were a very good team, even by the analytics, a top 10 team in terms of shots against or goals against, uh, I forget exactly what it was. He was the only defenseman, maybe aside from Robert Hag, that had like an overtly like poor season because I don't think he wanted to be here. And again, like I just think that don't again people don't want to hear this but the right shot thing does make a difference you know i remember Mm -hmm. talking to an assistant gm and an assistant coach about it and they mentioned that yeah you could get the guys who have been trained to play on their offside maybe tj brody in toronto is a very good example of that but when you're trying to move the puck out of the zone if you catch it on your backhand and i even think we've seen this with cam york recently and he's been very good for the most part but i think in a lot of games I think it was specifically against the Minnesota Wild where you saw him struggling to move that puck up the wall because he kept getting it on his backhand in the corner. So unless you're a guy that's really okay with doing that, I think Braden Coburn was a guy who really adapted well to the right side as well. It makes a difference. And you know, Gossespierre has played a lot of his uh, career on the right side with Provorov. I think he did with Robert Hagabit too. But I think all in all, you do want that guy getting getting the puck on his strong side. So... I, I think it comes down to the D'Angelo versus Goss's beer debate. It comes down to neither of them. Sorry, my cat got in the mix quickly. But I think that a lot, neither of them were the right fit. But it doesn't mean just because D'Angelo doesn't work that Goss's beer does work. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, the team right now, when you look at the standings at this point in the season, so the Flyers are 51 games in a record of 
hockey 500, 21, 21 and nine. To me, that's 21 and 30, basically. Um, 21 wins, 30 overall losses on the season. But again, 21, 21 and nine through 51 games. Last year, you know, when you look at where the Flyers finished, they finished last year with 25 wins. So four more than they have now with 31 games to play. Uh, They finished last year with 61 points, 10 more now than they have with 31 more to play. And while, you know, the team is obviously one more ant and been more consistent. And I mean, the beginning of the year, they suffered massive injury blows. We still haven't seen Couturier or Cam Atkinson play a shift this year. And well, they did have the, the period where nobody was getting injured prior to seeing Wade Allison and, um, uh, who else got hurt the other day? Who was out? Um, why can't I think of it? Oh, McEwen. oh, yeah, McEwen. Yeah. So prior to that, I mean, 17 straight games with the exact same lineup and combinations for the most part. But when you look at this jump that they've made year to year so far, uh, who deserves all the credit here? Um, I mean, obviously, I think the coaching staff, because I think the biggest element and in the biggest thing, you know, while players have had bounce back years like Konechny, uh, like others, so Scott Lawton has been had a really good year. Kevin Prover. Hayes, ha, statistically, Proveroff has been a little up and down, but been much better overall. And then obviously Hart. And then you have some young players like Frost and Tippett and Cates and those guys contributing when they're contributing. But um, to me, the biggest thing has been the resilience and the preparedness and being ready to play and being a pro has been the biggest difference, I think, year to year. Yeah, no, and this is a roster that is largely the same as last year, right? And you can make the case that it's worse because you don't have Sean Couturier from the onset. Claude Giroux isn't here. Cam Atkinson isn't here. And, you know, Atkinson and Giroux were probably your two most consistent forwards last year, especially when you consider that um, uh, Sean Couturier hasn't been able to play since last December. So I know it's the easy thing, but I really think it's the coaching staff because you see a lot of these guys playing well this year that were in a lot of ways non-factors this year. Like you said, Travis Konechny. I think that the way that he's been able to contribute offensively has been amazing. Obviously, he still has liabilities defensively, but when you're on pace to score over 80 points or whatever it is, you could live with those. Morgan Frost is a guy that, again, I still think that there's a lot of consistency to work on with him, but he's proven that he's a top nine NHL forward at this juncture, that his process is very good. He's not a liability anymore. You look at Scott Lawton, who his game just continues to evolve and evolve and evolve, and now all of a sudden you're saying, man, maybe he is a passable 3C. Maybe he can be a contributor on a second line in a pinch. And then you look at the defense and save for Sanheim and D'Angelo, who I think have just been not very good at all over the last 16 games and probably on the season as a whole. But you look at Cam York, what he's been able to do. You look at Provorov that, yes, a lot of up and downs, but the last 16 games, you can make the case that he has been their best defenseman. You know, when you <laughs> Nick Sealer by by the numbers, Nick Sealer has been their best defensive by a wide margin. Like you look at his last 15 games, 61 expected goals for 52 uh, Corsi, you know, his shot share is 59 percent. Like he has been amazing in that bottom pair role. And then you look at Ristolainen, like all of a sudden Rosmus Ristolainen is a very effective shutdown defenseman. Now, again, he's been playing mostly as a four five all season primarily on that third pair so you have to take that into consideration but at the same time he has the lowest offensive zone start percentage 
He's the number one PK guy on the back end beside Ivan Provorov. So it's not like he's been getting completely sheltered. It's just his overall usage at five on five has been limited. But I think that the difference was is last year, you had a decent second pair with Sanheim and Ristolainen, but a really bad first pair with Provorov and Braun and a really terrible third pair with Sealer and Yandel. And now it's kind of swapped where you have a first pair with Provorov and York that has played very well for the most part over the last 16 games. And a third pair that has been incredible with Sealer and Ristolainen. Like probably the best third pair we've seen the Flyers have since I don't even know how long, to be honest. So, I mean, you have some guys still struggling with Sanheim and D'Angelo. I think that fourth line has struggled at times. You want some more consistency out of guys, let's say, like Farabee. But for the most part, I have to give it to coaching because a lot of these guys weren't here last year. Yeah. That, that's or were the, here last year, sorry. Yeah, So, and you're seeing the, the difference year to year from a different coaching staff and a level of accountability. You know, Cates and Ristolainen, you know, Cates comes in and he's a center this year. Huge responsibility in the D and neutral zone for him. And it really dried up his offense for a period of time. He wasn't getting anything. Um, he wasn't generating offense. He was out there to defend and 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 let his wingers, if at all possible, drive the offense. But he's come alive in that regard with no sacrifice to the D zone and, off, and neutral zone play. And the same goes for Ristolainen because um, he's been closing out plays, you know, quickly now defensively, not chasing plays, not chasing the big hit. And he's now all of a sudden starting to add some offense into his game without sacrificing his level of play defensively. So th- both of those are good signs that those guys are taking steps forward. It was hard to judge maybe a step forward for those guys when they weren't putting up any points. But at this point, they're both putting up points now and contributing offensively while being able to defend with this, which is both of their hallmarks at different, you know, varying degrees. Well, you look at Ristolainen, his first three games coming back from injury, just a complete tire fire, right? Like he was playing really bad. And you have him get healthy scratched against Ottawa, I believe, on a Saturday game early November. And then Shaw and Tortorella just completely break his, his game down. And, you know, you've been saying it a lot, that he's been playing more between the dots, right? He's been playing yeah. more like in front of the net. And I got this really cool chart from uh, Mika Blake McCurdy in Effective Math on Twitter. And we had a, a quick discussion about it. And he sent me a chart from Bristoline season, I believe it was 2016-17 in Buffalo, where you saw right in front of the net, like the slot right between the hash marks, he boxed out everything and the shots against were so limited, but every other part of the ice, it was just a shooting gallery. And he said that it was almost like he was being coached to just worry about clearing bodies in front of the net and everything else was secondary. And now I just, you've seen his game change completely. And yes, he still runs around at times. You see it that he gets, he gets overexcited in a lot of ways. He'll go for the big hit. But for the most part, he's using his size, he's using his stick length, and he's he's killing a lot of plays. And I think what Ristline's been very good at is killing plays along the wall and maybe not having that outlet pass, but just getting the puck out of danger. He's very good to just flip it out into the neutral zone, yeah. and then at least like it kills the dangerous play coming back the other way. And again, it's only a 40-game sample size since he got scratched in November, but I think he's been a net positive right across the board, and you hope this is going to continue. And in the case of Cates, 
I mean, the guy comes in, they ask him to play a completely new position that he's never played before. And yes, his offense has struggled. Yes, I think that he does still struggle a bit to, let's say, push the puck up ice. But now the points are coming. And in a lot of ways, he's been their best defensive forward this season, which is all more impressive given the fact that he's learning a brand new position on the fly. And credit to Tortorella to really like recognizing like, hey, we may have something with this guy here as the long-term 3C. Like, I don't think he's a 1C, probably not even a 2C long-term. But if you could kind of plug that hole as your shutdown center for the next decade or whatever, I think it's a pretty quality ad and good for him. And I think uh, just to tie it around with Ristolainen here is that Bradshaw deserves a lot of credit for recognizing the skill set that Ristolainen has because – I'm guilty of saying that they should have just turned him into offensive defenseman because I do think he does have a lot of offensive abilities as we've seen with his goals recently, his setup for Kiefer Bellas the other night. But all in all, turning him into primarily an all-defense, low-event defenseman has worked out in spades this year. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, is you, you look at Noah Cates. He hasn't played a single game in the AHL. He came yeah. right from Minnesota Duluth after four years, 37 games in his senior year. And jumped right into the NHL, played 16 games last year, had nine points in those 16 games, five and four. And then this year comes in, and now he's moved into the middle with a new coaching staff and learning all of that that goes with it. And and we know about the deployment as well. It gets a ton of D-zone starts because of the trust factor with the coaching staff. Um, you know, the thing is, Ant, you know, we talked about this before the season or early in the season, I think so, where we said, okay, where's the line? Where when's it going to be when you go, OK, we can start to see an ascension. We can start start to see the team going up on an arc. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. No, I, I, I I'm not even getting anywhere near that. But the, I always said all along that the biggest key was that there was this line in the season where you started saying, OK, I'm feeling good about where they're going. There's still tons of work to do. Um, they still need high-end talent. They still need more talent. Um, they still need to trim some pieces off this and add huge upgrades to those areas. And we'll we'll see if there's hockey trades in the offseason. We'll see what they do at the deadline. You know, we'll see if Chuck Fletcher's the guy making those decisions. Uh, all of those things. But are we getting close to that line where we start to go, okay, this team is now looking like it's starting to ascend. A long way to go. And they can't take a step backwards, but this could be the point where they start to ascend. I think that the process is very encouraging because I do like, unlike earlier in the season when you're pretty much just piggybacking elite goaltending, they're playing legitimately good hockey a lot of the nights. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of their players are playing very good hockey. Like aside from that second pair and the fourth line, I think all of their pairs and lines are playing very good hockey for the most part you get the goaltending that i don't think has been a question at all this year whether it's been urson whether it's been hard even sandstrom i think for the most part like he's not great but he's giving you passable backup goaltending play so that's encouraging i think that the, a lot of these players are learning a new mentality they're getting rid of that past years with Yo and AV and all that dysfunctionality post-2020 playoff bubble. And the culture, I think, which the Flyers management prioritized this year and body language is something I heard a lot. I think a lot of those goals are being achieved. 
I think you have good depth long-term here. Like, again, you discussed it with Alex Appleyard, what, a month and a half ago. And he said, you know, because he's so privy to what they have overseas, I don't think they have to worry about their second, third, fourth lines or second and third pair defense for the foreseeable future. But good depth, good process, good mentality, good culture in terms of winning a Stanley Cup means not a whole lot if you don't have that high-end talent. Now, I do think that they may have something with Cutter Goatsy in the way of being a top-line player for the foreseeable future. I think Cam York could maybe be a top-pairing defenseman, not number one, but maybe a top-pair guy for the foreseeable future. They still have to plug those holes desperately. But I think what you're seeing now, at least, is you're not missing pieces in the way of quantity, but you're missing two or three really high-end pieces. And while there's not a lot of pieces missing the quality of those pieces is just enormous. And the question marks surrounding a guy like Sean Couturier. Yeah. I just don't know what he's going to be when he does come back. If he, you know, we have no clue. That's such a hard thing to, to forecast. You know, yeah. I think it's, I think that's why it's important for him to play this year to see if he can play out, if he can get on the ice and stay healthy and how his back holds up to go into the off season. Cause I think you got to get that answer going into the off season. You can't just go through another offseason and go, well, he'll be back next year. Because you don't know. You yeah. got, he's got to put he's got to put that body through the paces again of NHL play. Yeah. And I don't know no. what he's gonna the same thing. I mean, to some degree, the same thing with Atkinson. Yeah. No, We're not I, gonna see him though. We know that. Yeah, and I think in the way Sean Couturier, if he could come back and be like 75, 80% of what he was when he left, I think that would be a victory. Because his cap hit isn't egregious, you know, in a world where top line centers are getting nine mil plus, let's say like a Matthew Barzal and you work your way all the way up to Nathan McKinnon and uh, Connor McDavid making 12 and a half million dollars. I think 7.75 is like a very good second line center. And if he could come in and still be more or less the same guy defensively, but give you, let's say, Hayes level offensive production, like. 55 to 65 points, I think that's a victory. I think that would be okay because the AAV is so reasonable. And maybe him and Kate could be your two, three Cs, assuming Katori comes back and could be that 75, 80% of what he once was. Cam Atkinson, I mean, he's on, I think he's owed two more years on his contract at 5.85, if I believe. Might even be three. Might be three. I think including this year, it's three because it was one year more than Voracek. But anyway, all all that being said, I could be wrong, but I think that Atkinson is a guy that's going to come in and, uh, you know, I've always liked Cam Atkinson, but you look at that right wing position and there's going to be a log jam there very soon because you already have Allison, Tippett, Travis Konechny, McEwen, I don't see being here long term, but then you have guys like Forster and Bobby Brink. So, I mean, Atkinson, obviously, he's not here for the long, long term, but you still want him to come in and be an effective middle six guy, especially in the way of leadership, can help your penalty kill, is still a good trigger man in a lot of ways. I think he had, like, the highest goals above expected last year because he Mm -hmm. was just scoring from everywhere at one point, even on low percentage chances. So, I mean... Those are two guys could, that could help you in a lot of ways, especially if you move on from JVR and you move on from Kevin Hayes. You kind of have your in-house replacements ready to go. But again, they're not going to plug the holes in the way of high-end talent. They're just going to kind of come in and you know plug the internal holes that are going to be missing if you move on from JVR, which I think is 
almost 100% of a slam dunk. I was told last week they are still expected to move on from him. And in the way of Kevin Hayes, they're willing to move on from him. But Kevin Hayes isn't a guy, you know, contrary to what a lot of people on Twitter believe, is that they're just not going to dump Kevin Hayes for nothing. They're not going to retain $2.5 million and trade him for a seventh-round draft pick. I think that based on the way Hayes is playing, and over the last 16 games, you can make the case he's been their best forward. I think that he's a guy that you have to get value back for. You know, going back to last season, he's averaging, what, like 65, 70 points per 82 games in like a 97-game sample size. So, I mean, it's going to be very interesting what they do at the deadline. I think if they try hard enough, they can move Kevin Hayes. But again, I know they're willing to eat salary, but it's going to come down to what peop- what another team is willing to pay for him. But at least in the way of Katori and Atkinson, you have those in-house replacements. Yeah, and then you mentioned Cutter Gauthier. He's been unbelievable. Yeah. I, I mean, I look at a guy like like watching that Minnesota game. I looked at like Matt Boldy, and I go, this guy's taken 12th overall, right, in 2019. Not, not the greatest draft in the world. But I really like the player that they got at 12th overall. They did a good job, you know, making the selection and then developing the kid already. And I think there's some talent that, like, you can get players. Even at 12th overall, you can get talent. Um, I don't know where the Flyers are going to end up drafting. We'll see. There'll be time for that conversation. But um, Eric says that he wants to trade Hayes and get a second-round pick back. I don't think that's going to happen. You're not going to trade him without retaining any money. If you retained up to half, you could. I don't think they're going to want to go to half on Kevin Hayes, though. I, I based on what I've heard and been told, I think that retaining like two and three. a half million, yeah, making him like a yeah, making him like a four and a half million dollar player is probably going to be the sweet spot. Yeah, and I do think the benefit here with Hayes is that you, if you make him a four and a half million dollar player. Then some another team has cost certainty on him for three yep. years, and four and a half million dollars. Even if he becomes a three C or a second line wing or whatever, that's good value. And even if you mm-hmm. like take out the last calendar year his production, you go all the way back to twenty eighteen nineteen when he started with the Rangers, ended up in Winnipeg, and then came to the Flyers. It's a pretty big sample size. I think it's like two hundred twenty games or whatever, and he's averaging about fifty five points per game. Over that sample size uh, per season, fifty-five per eighty-two. Yeah, fifty-five per eighty-two. Yeah, fifty-five per game. That's a bit uh, whopping. Yeah, fifty-five per eighty-two. So he is a productive player. He is that. Like fifty-five points is a good season. Now, is he a seven million dollar player? No, he's not. He got paid what players of that ilk were getting back in two thousand nineteen. But if you cut that down by two and a half million dollars. I think now you're you get a lot of teams considering. Now, obviously, I think a lot of teams will first go after Bo Horvat. Who knows what's going on with Dylan Larkin? But I think the mm-hmm. cost certainty with Hayes could really, you know, peak some value. But it's going to depend how much the Flyers are willing to eat, and if other teams can make it work cap wise. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out when we when they come back a week from today on February sixth. Um, they'll be basically a month away from the NHL trade deadline. It'll be March third is the deadline so yeah be a lot of conversation between now and then and great stuff what's up on the fourth period.com no we're we're doing a lot of rumor stuff obviously i had two come out last week one with the flyers one on what a cole caulfield extension could look like i'm working on a few things for this week hopefully something on calgary maybe a 
something with the Philadelphia Flyers as well. But uh, obviously, we're entering the All-Star break. So maybe you'll, you'll get a bit of a lull later on in the week. But then when we come back from All-Star break, it's just uh, it's trade yeah. talk through and through. No doubt. Uh, check out Ant's stuff on thefourthperiod.com. Follow him on Twitter at adamarco 25 Great stuff, brother. We'll talk. Thanks, man. Take it easy. There he is, Anthony DeMarco. And that puts a wrap on episode 46 of Stick to Hockey Live. We'll be back later this week to get some more content, more hockey talk. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And we'll talk to you next time on Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great day, everybody. It's just another day. It was just another fight. It was words thrown into sentences. It was doomed. Not be